Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, March 25th. Try to understand points of view that are different from your own. The mind, like the body, must be stretched now and then to keep it limber, lest it ossify. Master tells this very amusing story of being on a train. And when Yogananda came to America in 1920, the, the great... Um, uh, trading back and forth of countries, especially, you know, the influx of Asians to America and Americans to Asia, or Indians and Japanese and Chinese. I mean, it, it wasn't even dreamed of at that point, what to speak of it happening. So when Master came to America, and for a time he also dressed in his orange robes, even just out wherever he was, gradually over time he adopted American business dress, except for formal religious occasions, but he always wore his hair long, and his skin was dark, and his features were different. He, he looked like an Indian um, from India, except people didn't automatically know that that's what he looked like because they weren't used to seeing people from different cultures so readily as that. So he, he, he was quite striking, and he was also, he, he, he had a, 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 a huge presence, and he had a, a, a powerful voice and just everything about him. He was, not, he, he was not that tall, but nothing else about him was small. He was a, a huge energy. And he was traveling on a train, and the way the train seats were set up, the, the, the seats were facing each other as train seats were in that time. And so a man was sitting across from Master and clearly didn't approve of him because he was dark-skinned, because he was a foreigner, who knows what the reasons were. But he had a look on his face of disapproval. And so, as Master tells the story, and there's a recording of him telling the story, he says to the man something, you know, why are you looking so sour? Now, Master, of course, he moved inspired by God, and he actually said, no one crossed my path except that it was God's will. Now, you have to understand, Yogananda's consciousness was of God realization. He was a Christ. He was one who had realized Christ consciousness. And he he came into this world entirely and only to help people. He had no karma of his own to work out. And so every moment of his incarnation, he was completely open to the direction of the divine as to what he was supposed to do in that moment. And so when he finds himself on this train journey sitting across from this man, and, and he feels the inner impulse to relate to him, he, he just flows with it. I lived closely with Swami Kriyananda for many decades, and Swami often did unexpected things. But he, Swamiji was very, very confident that when in, an intuitive flow would come to him, he would just follow it. It wasn't calculated. He didn't think it through that I'll do this or I'll do that. He just moved with the inspiration of the moment and knew that he, 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 was, he knew from his experience 
that when that flow was there, everything would happen as it should. So Master's sitting there in this much more in this way, and he looks across at this man, and he says, why do you have such a sour expression on your face? And the man says, none of your business. And Master's not going to be put off by that. He says, well, actually, it is my business, you see, because I have to look at you through this entire trade journey, and your sour expression is not at all pleasant. So the man was a little bit charmed by that and said something, you know, you're you're quite outrageous, sir. And so then they begin to talk, and it turns out that this man is a movie actor, and this and as a movie actor he finds out that that master is a yogi and he's practicing yoga and he's teaching people to meditate across the world and across the countries and he's no doubt he's on this train because he's traveling across America teaching people self-realization. So Master says to this movie actor, he said, most of, he said, everybody in the world is crazy. And this is how Master tells the story. Everybody in this world is crazy, but most of the time we only associate with people who are crazy in the same way that we're crazy. And so we never get to find out what our actual craziness is. And then Master says, but you see, we've been given a unique opportunity because you're crazy as a movie actor and I'm crazy as a yogi. And we have a chance to sort of exchange craziness. So then Master proposes to this man. He said, you explain to me what the benefits of being a movie actor are. I'll explain to you what the benefits are of of seeking God. And if I can persuade you, you have to seek God. And if you can persuade me, I'll become a movie actor. (laughs) So apparently they talked to each other. But at the end of it, Master persuaded him to seek God. And so then as Master said it, so I was saved from becoming a movie actor. <laughs> such, I mean, you were such good-natured. You can imagine what a, a absolutely just wonderful experience it was for that man who became a devoted disciple because it was, it was destined by God that they should be sitting across from each other. And of course, Master had a vision of all the Americans he would meet. Master, in, in 1920... When he was still in India, had a, it was sitting in the storeroom of the school that he was running for boys, and he was in the storeroom because it was one of the few private places where he could sit to meditate. And he was meditating, and he had a vision of, of I believe, probably thousands of faces going in front of him, and they were Western faces; they were not Indian. And then the way Master tells the story, which is a little bit to make the make it a good story. Americans, these must be Americans. That's what Master said, as if the thought had never occurred to him that he was going to America, even though it was well known that between himself and his guru that his destiny was in the West. These must be Americans. God is calling me to America. And he stood up from his meditation. He turned the school that he had started over to the staff. He he moved back to his home of Calcutta and bought a steamship ticket and came across to America. It was almost literally a hundred years ago. It was in 1920, and now it's 2020. This is the hundredth anniversary. So Master saw the faces of all the disciples he was going to meet. And in fact, when he was nearly at the end of his life, and some of the disciples had a sense that his life was going to end, Master died. There was no illness. Master just was completely well, and then his heart stopped, and he died. March 7, 1952. But someone asked him just a couple of days, have you seen all, all, have you met all the disciples that you saw in your vision? Almost all, he said, 
I'm just waiting for one or two more. And in those last days of his life, one or two more did come. Just like that. There was just one or two more. And then once he met them, then he was free to leave his body. So um, all of that is a very humorous story about, and the, the point of that is what Master said, all of us are a little crazy, but we tend to associate with people who maintain our point of view. And sometimes we even steadfastly avoid people who who have another point of view. And what it does, exactly what it says here, we just gradually ossify, and, and what is completely arbitrary, we think of as the only way things can be. This is why it's such a really good idea to travel, to go to other cultures, to go to completely different places. In our Living Wisdom School, we for a long time we had a relationship with a an orphanage in Mexico, and um, and, and the middle school children primarily, and sometimes the high school students, um, they would take a field trip and they would go live in that orphanage for like two weeks and associate with the children and help in certain ways, maybe do projects. I mean, our uh, our children from those schools were not were not that were not wealthy, but of course, you know, we were we were well fed. We had everything that we needed. Um, I, I make that distinction because I live in Palo Alto now and we run a, a, a private school, tuition-based school, and the nature of the school is, and the nature of the area in which we live is that there's more privilege among these children, not necessarily wealth, but more privilege. That, the, that school that I'm talking about was mostly the community children themselves, where we lived very simply, but we lived in the lap of luxury compared to these orphans. You know, just where they, you know, beans, chapatis, um, milk, if they were lucky. I mean, just absolute simplicity. And putting our children with those children, they all speak of what a totally life-changing experience it was. Because suddenly, everything that they thought had to be a certain way, you just discovered that there was an entirely different way to be. Just entirely different. And yet... People could enjoy themselves, they could be happy, they could have friendships. It's, it's just very, um, it's very important. When I first, myself, I was in my 30s before I left, the, left America, before I had a passport, before I traveled anywhere where I needed a passport. I saw Italy, I saw Germany, I saw Switzerland, I saw lots of places. Then eventually I saw India, I saw Thailand. And it's just like, oh, it just it doesn't have to be at all the way we think it has to be. Just this is completely arbitrary. Then the only reason I think it's normal is because this is the way I grew up. This is what I'm used to. And we realize just how small the mind can become. I mean just well, in the smallest ways, even in ways that don't even really matter, but they do just keep stretching us and stretching us and bending us. And if we don't keep doing that, whether by travel or just by interest, when you meet somebody, like Master met that actor, you know, we live in completely different worlds, Master said. You tell me about your world and I'll tell you about mine. Whenever we meet someone who's just completely different than us, I love to talk to people who are of a different age, a different context. I'll often ask, you know, what what do you think about this? What does this feel to you? How do you... How do you deal with this particular issue? I remember when um, the whole question of gender identity was really beginning to start and the whole question of, of what people called the Marriage Equality Act and, and 
like that. This was all, I didn't really have a point of view. It was just, it, it had never come up in the world that I had lived in up until that point. And I remember talking to someone, uh, the daughter of a friend. So that was, I have no children of my own, but it was that, it was a generation later. And because she had grown up in a world in which this was common, and I was now living in a world in which this was common, and I just said to her, how do you regard this? And she said, I'm just happy when people find someone to love. And I thought, wow, that's perfect. You know, it's just, it's not my place. I don't need to have an opinion on this. And that really says it. And I've been really... I'm a wordsmith, and I've been really impressed when I hear people say, it doesn't matter, let's see, how you look, how you worship, or who you love. And that's, that's, I think that's like, that's a really simple way to say it. I mean, a person might have a point of view. They might even feel strongly, you know, even from spiritual source or scripture that this is the point of view that they have to have. And I find that interesting, you know. Why is it that you feel this way? I was asking her, and that was her answer. I could speak to someone who felt strongly from another point of view. And, and I ask the question, and I ask it with genuine interest. You know, tell me, why, tell me why that you feel that way. When people talk, I often just not interrupt in a rude way, but I, I pause and I say, what does that mean to you? You know, when you say that, what does that mean to you? It's not right, or it isn't right, or it doesn't feel good, or... I don't want people to see me this way. What does that mean to you? It's not, a, it's not an accusation. It's a, just a genuine question. I just don't know. I don't understand what that means. What does that mean to you? Tell me about it. When I talk to people whose life experience is different than mine, you know, I, I talked to a woman who was the victim of incense, incest. And I was trying to help her from a spiritual perspective, but I had to start by saying, I know nothing about this, absolutely nothing. You know, so first you have to tell me, what is this? What is this about? And I was actually on the other side of it once, thank God only once, where suddenly I, a person that I have known for years and trusted, turned out to be a pedophile. And I had to implement the um, legal consequences of that discovery, you know. So I had to take someone who had been a friend of mine for a long time, literally take them to the police. You know, like, wow, this is not anything I understand. And it, um, I, I can't say that I ever felt that that the man was justified, and nor did he defend himself. Thank God, he accepted everything as appropriate justice for him. But it was like I had to just put myself into someone else's consciousness, not anything I'd ever thought about. And it entered me, I I ended up in this whole world of people who were helping people like that. And I became closely associated with a man whose life work had been to help men who were inclined that way and help them to get through it one way or another. And, you know, just all of a sudden, and I was very grateful for it, because I could just see, oh my gosh, there's so many different ways to be. And what that does, it, among other things, it tremendously softens your heart. But it does exactly what Swami says. It makes you flexible. It makes you all of a sudden that, that the world becomes a much larger, and actually 
a much more inviting and harmonious place because we're not just frozen in this narrow reality and anything outside of that is foreign and is a threat. It becomes, well, I know who I am. I know why I am the way I am, what I've chosen. But I can also see that you've chosen something else and I may wish to support it or I may feel the need to stand against it because not all alternate realities are attractive. But at least I can, I can see it. I don't have to freeze myself into this narrow world, but I can, I can let the world be. And this helps me going back a few days. You have to deal with things as they are, not merely as you wish them to be. So Swamiji says, Try to understand points of view that are different from your own. The mind, like the body, must be stretched now and then to keep it limber, lest it ossify. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.